You are listening to the Practice Growth Podcast with Sean Terrell. Welcome to the Practice Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Terrell, and really excited to continue our discussion from last week with Dr. Aaron Jones. If you missed last week's episode, Aaron is the owner-dentist at Jones Family Dental in Norwalk, Iowa, and it just seemed like we had more to talk about. So, Dr. Aaron, thanks for making some more time for a part two to our discussion and to your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Glad, glad to be here. So, one of the items that we didn't even get a chance to dive into last time was some of the the work that you're doing within your practice on crowns and production and a lot of the equipment that goes into doing some of your own implant uh production. Could you just at a high level share what you're working on there? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it, it's interesting I even got into this because it was more um, my accountant told me that I needed to buy more equipment this tax year. So I was looking around and said, well, I've always kind of wanted a mill, but I've never been super impressed with the the uh, collars they like to put on us when we buy these mills and force us to do what they want us to do. So I started looking at actual lab mills that a lab would purchase. And so I bought a whole bunch of lab equipment, mainly just to spend the money on the equipment. But then I started realizing that um, there's some significant benefits to buying like a heavier duty mill with the other things that you can do. And so the dentists listening probably are all aware of, you know, Sarek and the ability to make Emacs crowns in office. Um, there's a lot of dentists out there that do it and they do it really well. Um, I've never really seen it working super well in my office. Um, being able to mill a crown one at a time, kind of same day works okay. But I just really wanted the ability to make zirconia crowns in my office. And I really wanted to be able to make them you know, all at once, not just one at a time. And so uh, little by little, I've been taking courses on how to be a ceramist, how to do this, how to do that. I've had to do a little bit of computer programming. So it's not it's not really for the the person who who doesn't want to have a severe, steep learning curve. Okay, this isn't something you can dabble in is what I'm picking up right away. You got to dive in. So I dove in. And uh, so my current workflow is I'm I'm batch milling my crowns at the end of each week for the ones that I've done all at once out of a zirconia puck. So it can be 20 or 30 crowns, depending on what you're doing in one shot, right? So then you can mill them at once, you can fire them at once, you can glaze them at once. And so, you know, the, the average crown ranges between 70 and 110, 120 bucks, depending on which lab you're using. And so I cut that out of the equation and I can make these crowns for much, much less now. Obviously there's time involved in things, but my ultimate goal is to perfect the workflow enough so that I can then hire and train somebody to do this for me. And then ultimately my goal would be to then start taking on other dental clients for them um, where I'm positioned geographically in, in the Des Moines area helps me uh, be able to get a lot of people in Indianola and Carlisle and, uh, you know, South Osceola. I could then service those dentists and be able to get the turnaround time quite low so that we could then help them get their crowns. And then the machine can also get um, some profit going for itself. So So how does that contrast with the way that most dentists are handling their crowns, the production and the workflow of implanting those or yeah. I don't know what the, the right word is, but uh, putting those on patients. 
Yeah. So, you know, the traditional ways you, you prep the tooth, you make a temporary, you make a mold or an impression and you put a temporary crown on and then you send that mold out to the lab. Usually it's one to two weeks and then they send that back to you. It's all pretty and ready to go. Then the patient comes in, you take off the temporary, make sure the real crown fits and you stick it back on. That's kind of the main way of doing it. Um, patients that are dentists that have some kind of mill that can do Emacs or other things like that in office, they don't need to make a temporary. They don't need to send them out the door. They can give them their permanent crown in one shot. But there's some downtime of just making the crown, designing the crown. Um, Emacs, when you fire it, sometimes the margins bend or curve a little bit. And so the crowns are okay. They're great. They're just not as strong as zirconia and they're not as sharp looking as zirconia would be. They have their applications. They're a lot more aesthetic usually. So you can do like anterior crowns and things. It's just, you know, everybody's always about getting speed and speed and getting everything faster and faster. And that's great. I'm all for that. But if it's starting to compromise quality, I, I don't really like doing that. So, um, you know, sometimes it's just, it just looks better in the back when you have a zirconia crown. So better quality. Uh, you don't have to pay for the markup. And faster turnaround too, even if it's not same day, uh, but it's going to be within the next week if you're doing it in house. Correct. Yep. And the biggest thing too, is I have control. I'm designing it all myself. I'm, I'm glazing it. So I have control over, you know, color, shape, all that very, very well. Um, you know, most dentists, I don't think even care about this subject. Like they don't want to do this. It's too much time. It's fine. That's, that's why labs exist, right? This is an outsource so, for most dentists. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately that's, you know, I want to become the person they outsource to if it makes sense and it's easy and somebody's already doing it in my office, I have the capability to do that and get that turnaround time down quite a bit. Right. So, um, yeah, I just, you know, it's just another way to have something that you purchase pay for itself. That's all what I'm about in the business. It's, if you're going to make a purchase your business it should help you make money right and, and and what sort of market research have you done or do you have that there's a demand within central iowa to use you as yeah a, a quicker turnaround time and a better solution for these crowns for dentists that still want to outsource it but don't want to wait two weeks right so um i've just you know looked around as a dentist i'm always looking for labs and there's labs that are in the local area but they're so expensive like most most dental labs in this area are like 30 40 bucks more than i want to pay and so i send all my stuff to cedar rapids which is you know that's a that's a good drive every day for those guys um i think they have a, a satellite clinic or satellite lab up in ankeny so they kind of split the load there but um ankeny is pretty far from where i'm at so i know and part of it is i've worked in these Southern towns, like I've worked in Osceola, I've been around in Indianola. So I understand, you know, these dentists, they send stuff out and it's going to take a day, day and a half to even get to the lab because most of them aren't even using digital things. So they got to physically send the impression. So, and if it doesn't work, it's fine. But I just think um, eventually there's going to be a need and I just want to be there ready to pick it up. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. And the other thing that I forgot to mention is the mill that I got also can do everything. It can mill, it can mill wax, it can mill zirconia, it can mill Emacs, it can mill titanium, it can mill, it can mill 16-unit bridges, it can do hybrid dentures, it can do everything, right? So being able to mill my own custom abutments in-house, I can get that cost down to, you know, 
like 20% of what a lab would normally charge or even less, sometimes 10%. So, so you said you had to become a ceramist and that you don't just dip your toe. You kind of got to go all in on this. What, I I guess, what's the process that you've had to go through to, to learn how to do all this besides just the outlay of the equipment? I mean, I'm definitely still in this process. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I know how to be a ceramist just yet, but what I've done is when I bought the stuff, there's then courses that come with, because usually guys that are buying this equipment are lab guys, right? So the companies will pay these guys to go and learn how to use their products. Well, in that course of doing that, I ran into a few guys who are, you know, old school ceramists. And so I just say, Hey, do you got any courses or anything you teach guys? And they told me, yeah. And so you just kind of go from there. And so then I like showed up and like taking like a two day course about stain and glaze and value and contrast. And it was, it was all over the place. It brought me back to pros in dental school, which is good and bad. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, you know, little by little, I'm just, I think for me as a dentist, and this probably encapsulates every podcast, both podcasts is I have, and I know this about myself, it's good and bad. I have an irrational lack or I have an irrational, um, I have a lack of a um, sense of fear. I just, I don't, like this stuff just doesn't make me nervous. And so I just dive in hoping that I can swim and then I'll figure it out once I'm like actually in it. Right. And so with procedures and CEs and everything I do, um, I like that. It's a little scary. Hmm. (laughs) It makes me comfortable and it calms me to be in chaos. I like it. And so when I feel like everything's easy and I'm understanding it, I just, I get bored and I don't want to do it. I just give up or I just, I just stop, you know? And so I'm not saying that's a good habit. I think it's good to do things over and over and over again. Um, just, yeah. I think it's a, it's a good habit. It's a common habit among entrepreneurs. I, I think your stated calm about being that way is a little bit uncommon based on my yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, most people, there's this, there's this difference between actually doing it, but still being, nervous and anxious about what's what's going on this sort of ready shoot aim type of mentality right right yeah that's yeah i just i've I've been that way ever since i was a little kid i used to start businesses as a i remember selling things to the kids in my neighborhood when i was like seven years old and making way too much money as a seven-year-old so just uh i my brain doesn't stop and so i just keep going well, I think you're in a good profession because there's a, there's a, yeah. to me on the outside, there seems like there is a fair amount of open architecture about sure. the type of dentist you want to be, the type of practice you want to run. And sure. you seem to be drawn to that. So especially the practice of dentistry, like, you know, doing what the general public thinks is dentistry, that to me, if that's all I had. I don't think I could do this, but you nail it around the head. There's so many things, especially in the future of dentistry that I'm just, I see as an opportunity to make my life more interesting. And yeah, it's cool. It makes it really cool. Sort of in a similar vein uh, to, to shift gears a little bit, but another sort of outside the box aspect of your practice is you administering Botox to patients. Could you at a high level hit on yeah. what that looks like? Yeah, for sure. So um, when I got certified, it was like, oh, I don't know. Four months out of dental school, I signed up for a course. Um, I wasn't sure if I was allowed to actually do it. So I called the dental board at Iowa and I just straight up asked them. 
and they said that it was um, a rule, not a law, that you had to be trained, and it has to relate to the practice of dentistry. And I said, "What does that mean exactly?" And then he repeated <laughs> it. He repeated it back to me word for word. So I basically took it to mean, "Go get your training. Do what you do. We're not going to stop you." I don't know. That's kind of how I interpreted it. Um, obviously I went and got trained. I got trained by the American Academy of Facial Aesthetics and I came to realize that dental school pretty much taught me everything I needed to know quickly after taking that training. So they teach you really well how to give injections. They teach you really well how to understand the head and neck anatomy and they teach you how to deal with pain. Right. And so, um, there's two components of Botox, obviously the cosmetic, like the goals and things like that. But then there's this huge component of head and neck muscular pain. And so Botox opened up this window in my diagnostic ability to be able to say your jaw pain or your tooth pain is due to a muscle dysfunction or a, a, a trigger point, a knot. They're all the same word for, the, for something going on in the muscle groups where there's an unbalanced effect. And so being able to have that, you know, that treatment modality in my arsenal um, just adds another component to why patients like coming to my practice because they don't have to get referred out to some other person they have to re-explain their whole life story to and why their head hurts and everything else, right? And so it, uh, it just naturally goes from doing a crown and then, you know, we go to another six-month exam and they start having head and neck pain. I let them know I do it. You know, little by little, the word gets out. And I've started getting referrals now from MDs about, you know, patients that come in with this ear pain but they don't have an ear infection all the time. And so, you know, getting that reputation as a dentist who does that suddenly, you know, those patients then become dental patients here because they want to stay with a guy that just helped get them out of ear pain that didn't have an ear infection. They want them to do everything for them. So it just snowball effects adds more, more dimension to the office for sure. How common is it among general dentists to do Botox? Do you have any sense? I don't. Um, I would say it's not super common. I would say the guys that are probably listening to this, I would say a half of them probably are already doing it just because that's kind of the types of dentists that like to listen to these types of things. Um, if you're not curious mind minded, dentist, yeah, not doing it, definitely look into it. It is fun and it breaks up the monotony of fillings. Um, but I don't have a sense. I know in bigger cities for sure, there's probably more, but like in the Metro, I have no idea. I know. I know of several guys doing it, probably ones you've interviewed as well, but um, yeah. And just to clarify, so the dental board said you're okay to do it as a dentist and presenting yourself as a dentist, but you do have to go get that Botox specific training right. and what that yep. entails. And uh, yep. what was and then it has it to relate to the practice of dentistry. That was the big thing I kept saying. So, mm. but when you smile, you use all your muscles. So I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> So kind of maybe continuing with the theme and we're bouncing around a little bit here, but there's just a bunch of interesting topics, but you know, your practice is just a little bit outside the box in a lot of different areas, which is what I find interesting about it. One of the other outside of the box areas that we talked about a little bit in the last episode last week was some of the hours that you're available to treat patients, uh, nights and in some cases weekends and how that has really helped you grow your practice. Uh, my follow-up to that, and, and, I'll, and I'll ask the question and I'll share kind of my experience and how it relates to what I do, but 
I guess, how does that uh, form the relationship for what's expected? Like if a patient comes to you because you're available at, at six o'clock on a Friday night or 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning, and then at some point in the future, you decide that you don't want to work those hours anymore. How does that affect the relationship with the patient from your perspective? Uh, I'll have to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still doing those hours. I walked myself into that easy yeah, yeah. answer. No, right? I think about that question a lot, actually. So, yeah. That's a really great question. I think your question is, how am I going to transition my patients into normal work hours eventually? But hey, I'm hosting the podcast here, Aaron. Yeah, I'll ask the, the bad questions. Was that no, your question? That, thank you for clarifying. That yeah, was my no question. Problem. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> honestly, I don't plan on getting rid of all the night hours or all the weekends for a long time, um, which, you know, I don't recommend doing it. <laughs> okay. But if you're going to do it, get ready because it's like a, a fire hose of, of patients that will call because there's so many people that want to get into the dentist or need, you know, tooth pain relieved or whatever. But their work is such that if they don't go into work, they don't get paid. So they would rather eat and survive than get their tooth treated, right? So if mm -hmm. there's people that find out that you have this ability, this hours, and they can get it done and go to work and not take vacation to go to the dentist, they come and they come real in droves, right? And so, mm -hmm. and they the probably tell other people that they work yep. with and know that lead a similar lifestyle or have a similar yep. occupation about yep. you. And then, yeah, so like Saturdays are like truck drivers, all of them. They all come on Saturdays. Like my Saturdays are full of truck drivers. And so, you know, with that, they also, you have to train or teach your patients not to take those hours lightly that if they're going to cancel, I'm probably not going to schedule them anymore on those times of days because they're such precious hours, not for mm. them. Well, for them, but they're more precious for me because that takes time away from my family and from, you know, a normal life, like a happy life, a relaxing life. Right. So, right. Those, uh, those types of hours are a really good way to grow really quickly. And then trying to transition into normal hours is going to be tough. But um, I would find, I find that most patients, once they like you as the dentist, they're more willing to come in. But, you know, I'm sure I'll lose patients if I ever get rid of Saturdays or ever get rid of all my nights. I'm, that's just going to happen. So I'm going to try not to. We'll see. Do most people take it a little bit more seriously when you let them know up front, hey, these are premium hours for me. So if you're going to take one of those spots, let's make sure you're going to show up on a Friday yeah. night or a Saturday morning. Yeah, for sure. They definitely do. And then in my office, I have a policy just because I had a really bad problem with cancellations at first. And I think it's because we have like a younger demographic for the most part. And so they would just cancel the ghosting yeah, mentality. Or just cancel and most of the time the real excuses or whatever but i have a cancellation policy so if they cancel within 24 hours or no show me i charge them 100 bucks which is seems like a lot but if you think about what you could be filling in that time slot you have to value yourself as the dentist like what am i worth per hour to just waste my time right mm -hmm. i wish i could charge 500 dollars, but that just won't fly but the thing is i've been to offices where they do this and no one gets mad if you give them an ability to appeal the charge so the, it's all about the psychology of canceling. It's not about getting money. I don't care if I ever collect a dime, but you know, if they cancel or no show and they have a legitimate reason, we make sure they understand they can always appeal it. The appeal form goes directly to me and I read it and I have to sign it and they know that. And so the first time should be their last time because they understand that, 
you know, Dr. Jones himself is going to be reading, not the front desk, right? Mm -hmm. And it works. It works really well because patients either leave because they're upset, even though they can appeal it, which makes no sense to me, but that's fine. They can leave because I want to create a pool of patients that don't fail or don't cancel. And so you got to build a culture from the get-go. I'm just chuckling inside because I'm thinking about, you know, <laughs> getting poor excuses if anyone would take the time. Yeah. Like, how many times has your grandma died? Right. I know. Ferris Bueller. Yeah, exactly. Like, and those are, those are some fun uh, conversations to have, obviously. Like my grandma just died, like here's an appeal form. Right. So when you, when they give excuses like that, I've trained my front desk to just, you know, not, not charge them that. What we usually say is there's, we say normally there's a fee for this cancellation, so on and so forth. But in this case, we'll just go ahead and wipe it. You know, next time we'll have you fill out an appeal form if you need to cancel for any other reason, things like that. Yeah, you're kind of into a, an area there with some of these uh, excuses where you're just you're not going to win, even if right. you know that it's a, an illegitimate. Yeah. Or it's, and, it's I don't, a, and I don't want to win. That's the thing. I want them to win. I just want them to be accountable. to Sure. Me, right. And, and it little by little works because all the patients that always habitually fail, they've all left. And I don't need them anymore because they waste so much of my time. I make more money without them. Mm hmm. Yep. So two two follow ups to that. Did, do you explain that policy on the front end to people? Yep. And then, so second follow-up, I guess, is how many people say, you know what, it, I just, I don't have a good reason. I, I forgot about it. I blew it off. Here's a hundred bucks. How common is that? Yeah, it's, it's pretty rare. I would say since I've been doing this about a year, uh, maybe three people have actually tried to pay me. Sort of so, like the library fine that people just yeah, never go back yeah. to the library if they right. have like, late I, fees. I, As a patient, me personally, I would pay it. But yeah, I would... It's, it's amazing. Sometimes patients will be like, yeah, my hair appointment's running late and I don't want to get up. Okay. Like, really? You're going to can't, you know, like it just, they don't have any concept. And so having the, the cancellation policy, they get it. Like I'm worth, my time is valuable. Don't waste it. You know? Yeah. And I think the key there is this transparency and be in, and let people know that up front. Right. I think where people get frustrated is if you don't tell them that and then spring yeah. it on them after the fact, well, you yeah. Know, so we actually have a form they physically sign and we, you know, make sure they signed it because all my other forms are digital, but this one, I make them sign it. So, so I want to, I want to circle back to the nights and the weekends and the hours there um, just because, uh, and then we'll close the loop on that and move on to something else. But the reason I bring it up is because when I started out 10 years ago as a financial advisor and you don't have a lot of clients, you're willing to drive anywhere and do just about anything and meet with anyone at any time, it, right. the prospect of getting a client. And I'm sure it's a little bit of the same psychology when you start a, a practice basically from scratch and don't have patients. Um, and then I've found that, you know, when you meet with people at their kitchen table three hours away at 7.30 at night and you show up with sandwiches, then it gets really hard to transition to like, I want you to come to my office now and meet with me during normal business hours. So right. yeah. does that maybe get into what you kind of said, which was if I had it to do it over again, I probably wouldn't have done it? No, I definitely would still have done it. Yeah. But o only because the number of new patients it brought in was astronomical. Hmm. Yeah, the volume exceeded the volume potential. Exceeded the potential problems. Yep. Um, okay. I mean, I'm not kidding. Some days I'll have three hours. So it's like tonight. I'm working four to seven p.m. In that three hours, I probably will make more money than I did a previous eight-hour day at my other office. Hmm. Right. Like 
the efficiency and the production value goes up. And so I'm actually producing way more by working way less. And it's not necessarily because I dropped insurance or because I have awesome patients. It's because, you know, these, these patients have learned I'm coming and we've, I've trained my front to schedule big productions during these times. And so instead of doing one crown, we'll do six crowns, you know? And so that only, you know, it just, it adds up a lot, but, um, I just say, if you haven't done it and you don't have to do it, don't do it. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. And I'm only but, cringing yeah. with myself where I'm like, you know, it's amazing. I didn't offer to wash their car and take yeah, their dog yeah. for a walk while I was there. Yeah. So the nice <laughs> thing is, you know, with me, they're coming to my office. And, right. You now, if they, if they cancel, they kind of know, like, I'm probably not going to get back in for six months or something. So they, they have that already in their head. Good stuff. So where I kind of wanted to pivot to next was, so you, you, you own your own practice and you've owned that for a couple of years and you still are practicing at a different practice that you don't own, yep. um, seemingly beyond the need for just financial survival, if that makes sense. Is that mm -hmm. a fair assessment? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Maybe if you would share like what's, I think you said in the, the first podcast that you kind of started out doing that with the idea that you're going to do it for a couple of years, but now you're like four or five years beyond dental school and you're still doing it. So I'm yeah. curious your, your mindset with why yeah. you've continued to do it. Well, um, that's a good question. So part of the reason is because where I'm at, I really like, um, I like the service mix that I do. So um, I'm in Pleasant Hill. It's called Lakeside Dental. And just to clarify, that's your the practice that you don't have any ownership that Correct. you yep. quote just unquote moonlight at. Yeah. Just an associate. Right. So I started out working five days a week, then four, then three, then two. And now just last week, actually I switched down to one. And so it's part of a larger group practice called, it used to be Apple white dental. Now it's core dental. Um, the main reason I stay there honestly, isn't for money or anything like that. It's because I like to have my, my hand and my foot, in that world because there are opportunities. I like to learn how they function. I like to learn, you know, they have all these like trainings and all this like HIPAA stuff and all these other things that like as a small practice just started, I forget about this stuff. Hmm. And so understanding how I should do things by being there helps me become better in my own office at Jones Family Dental. So that's so one reason. Yeah. Just the DSO has uh, education and compliance yeah. resources at scale that you just yeah. don't have the time to go do on your own or to, to research. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so that, you know, if there's any new changes in laws and things like that, they have like trainings that just tell me about it. Like it's, it makes it a little easy and they pay me for it. Right. So I get to pay to be there and things like that. The other reason I do it is because they have, I think they have like almost 50 some offices now. And so one of my bigger plans with this lab idea is I want to become a preferred lab within that company. And then I don't mm. need any clients at all because then everywhere in the Metro, they usually motivate their dentists by sending them to preferred labs by not having them pay their lab bill if they go to a preferred lab. So they motivate the dentist, the company motivates the dentist to send to specific labs by telling the dentist they don't need to pay any lab fees. Right. So if mm -hmm. I can negotiate my way into being a preferred lab within that company, that there you go, that pays for the lab. And the fact that you're there practicing probably gives you a leg up. Right. Because then I can actually refer to myself. <laughs> <laughs> get, get where I'm going with that. 
And yeah. I'm already doing that with 3D printing. So anything that needs to be 3D printed in that office, I send myself a lab bill and they pay me. And so it works out great. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad I asked the question because those are a couple really good reasons to stay yep. involved, even though seemingly you don't have to, or you're yep. at least standing enough on your own with the practice right. that you own to, to not yep. have to do that. Um, and then yeah. I'd say the biggest reason too is, you know, over there I've become, I'm a general dentist, but I like to think I'm, you know, I call myself a specialized general dentist. And so mm. over there, I'm basically only doing specialty procedures with the hope that I can get my foot in the door with this reach that this company has to be able to receive fer- referrals from other dentists within Core Dental that are in the metro. And they refer to me and I send them back as if a specialist, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this unique um, opportunity I have to step into a role that I wouldn't normally be exposed or have the opportunity to be with. And then my last little branch that I'm trying to work on over there is I would love to be able to do um, like CD stuff and be able to teach and explain how I do this or how I do that. And so they do webinars in the company all the time. So within that company, I could do webinars about, you know, how do I do same day guided implants? How do I do, you know, how, how do I make all these, how do I do all this stuff so quickly? And how do you make it work really well to get the results you want really well and do it for a, a third of the price? That's ultimately what I love to start teaching people how to do. Hmm. So, yeah, all of that. And if I, if I just quit, all that goes away. So, yeah, you're thinking out a few iterations. So, yeah, I, yeah. as you explain it, I can see and, and knowing you a little bit and how your mind works, I can see kind of the uh, the method behind the madness, if it's fair to call it that. Yeah, for sure. Because when I'm 50, I want to be teaching C courses. I'll just say that publicly. I want to be able to teach dentistry and make money doing it. Yeah. So we hit on it at the very end of our first episode, but I think it kind of all this leads up to the question that I kind of want to end with or the topic I want to end with in that to be able to work these crazy hours and this crazy shift, you really got to have a pretty good support system behind you. How do you, how do you blend your family and, and handle and juggle all this stuff? Yeah. I uh, don't sleep very much. So I, I would say I probably average between four to five hours of sleep a night, some days less. So you just, um, it's probably not healthy, but I find that I don't need much more than that. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is when I go home, I just stop working entirely. So I'm, I'm present all the time, you know, mm-hmm. which is um, easier said than done. Right. But I'd say the most important and the best answer is because I have an awesome wife who just like me and her work together, like perfectly so that we're a team you know, we have our moments where things go kind of crazy for a while, but, um, you know, she's just, when we started this process, me and her sat down and we just got in the mindset, let's pretend I'm going back to school for two years because school's crazy as everyone listening knows. And that was enough for her to be able to function. You know, if, as far as my kids go, um, I just try to spend as much time as I can with them. But like, you know, I went on this course, right? So I went to Las Vegas to do some of this ceramic stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I took, I took my son with me. So that was like, we spent a bunch of time together doing that. Like, you just got to be able to adapt a little bit to the craziness. But with COVID, it's pretty easy to keep going to school and still be on a trip. So mm. it's, uh, it worked out. But, you know, to be honest with you, it's, it's rough. It's a grind. You, uh, you just got to everybody needs to be on board. Like we sat down with the kids, we sat down with my wife and I, and we just you know, made a plan and, 
you just got to stick with it. Um, but like if I have an hour between jobs, I go home and I just become present for with them for an hour. So they remember who I am. Right. But mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's just, I don't, I don't really have a good answer for you other than I hope it keeps working, but. Yeah. And it probably doesn't for the time being allow to allow you to have many hobbies outside of, of work no. and family. No, I would just say as far as for me, this is, none of this works unless you really, really, really love what you're doing. And so for me, I don't really feel like I'm working. I feel like it's just all the time doing a hobby. Mm. And so I get personal satisfaction. Like when I go home and relax, I read dental forums on different procedures. Like that's relaxing. Like I'm a giant nerd. Like I, I'm just a, a, a dental nerd. I, I'm okay with that. But you know, like it's, I don't know. I just, uh, I don't find myself wanting to be anywhere else when I'm at work. Yeah. Other than maybe home, but. And then yeah, when you're I'm home, not, yeah, you don't want to be at work or at least that's the objective, right? Just that's, that mindset. that's the goal. It's, it's hard to do that for sure. But you know, my other hobby and we haven't even touched on this is I love to build things. So we're living in a construction zone, but, um, that keeps me going too. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, at some point, maybe we'll have to have a third podcast, but I think we've, we've yeah. run a pretty good gamut for, for the last couple of weeks. Really appreciate you sharing the, the many layers uh, to yeah. your story and for diving in to, to some of these questions I've had. Yeah. And, you know, I just can't say it enough. Is there, if there's anybody that's listening that has any questions or wants to know anything about anything I've talked about, definitely reach out. I like to just talk about the stuff. It's fun. And what's the best way to get in touch? You can just uh, just email my my personal. I'll just give him my personal email. It's Aaron.Jones.DDS at gmail.com. Aaron.Jones.DDS at gmail.com. Very good. That's Dr. Aaron Jones, founder and owner at Jones Family Dental in Norwalk, Iowa. Really enjoyed the conversation the last few weeks. And thanks again for, for sharing your perspective and for being a guest on the Practice Growth Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sean Terrell is a registered representative, certified exit planner, and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is a direct, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Terrell Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Terrell Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Compliance tracking number 2021-119655, expiration date April 2023.